0: Hi, and welcome to the McGregor Dementia Support Ministry Podcast, a podcast providing relevant resources to those currently walking the dementia journey with their loved ones. Today's podcast is a session recorded from our Alzheimer's and Dementia Seminar held here at McGregor Baptist Church on February 19th, 2022. Today's podcast session title is Financial and Legal Considerations by Lance McKinney. McKinney and I'm a certified elder law attorney I've been practicing for about 30 years so it used to be everyone said oh you look so young they don't say that anymore but whatever and there you go thank you So um, we, we have a big topic and and typically uh, to really dig into all the details takes a lot more time than what we have for the the 30 minutes but that doesn't mean we can't be productive and give you a good taste of things for you to consider. A Couple of things we wanna do is we wanna make sure that um, first you understand the things you can do in advance to prepare for the time when we need help ourselves. Okay? You guys may be preparing for yourselves or you may be already caring for someone who is entering into that. So we're gonna talk a little bit about the things you want in place, we're gonna talk about some resources that you can tap into, and then we're gonna make sure you know what to look for as, uh, when you're trying to get advice and an advisor, okay? So at any point, please feel free to ask a question. I may say I gotta hold that one, but please don't be shy about bringing it up. Okay, let's get into it. First, what should you all have once you turned 18? That was a long time ago. You should all have. You should be able to name somebody to act for you if you can't act for yourself. And so there's two main categories of authority that we're talking about. Medical, okay? And in Florida, we call that a healthcare surrogate. If you come from another state, sometimes other states call them proxies. It doesn't really matter. The point is, is that you're just naming somebody who can act for you if the doctor says, you really don't understand what's going on, okay? And so it's a, uh, there are state-approved forms. Everybody in this room should have named who can make medical decisions for them when they can't do it themselves. It's free. You can get this form at any hospital. Uh, There's lots of places to get this form, and we certainly can make sure that there is a form available through Kim and and, and you can name somebody to act for you. Typically, what do we do? We name spouse, maybe a child, a good friend. It can be anybody that you feel knows your choices for medical care. It can be in-state, in-city, in your home, or out, of course across Alaska can be. I mean, how many times have we had to deal with medical care now in our last two years by the phone, right? So geography is not a must do. You don't have to have someone right here. But you want them connected with you so that they understand what's going on in your life so that they can do a good job for you. Okay, so everybody should have a healthcare surrogate. I like to name at least, two or three people, why? Well, people die and get hurt and aren't available. So this is something you should be naming a couple of people. If my spouse can't do it, then my child, or here's the other people that can do it. Living will is the term of document that we use to say, if I can't tell the doctors what I want in those end of life choices, Keep treating no matter what, or if it's not helping, don't keep treating no matter what. That's also important. That is also a state approved form. You can get that in many places. Everybody should have one. Okay, what happens if you don't? If you don't have one, then the state has a list. So typically, well not typically, the first person on that list is who? Who do you think? Spouse, yeah, that's an easy one. That's pretty safe, right? And then from there, it's the majority of adult children. Sometimes decision by committee doesn't work, okay? You will know your own circumstances in your own family. Of course, if you're now taking care of a loved one, right, and you're the child that is here, and your siblings are always yammering about how and what you should be doing, that committee is a rough committee to be on, okay? And so having your parent or somebody that you're taking care of name who should be in charge can be really helpful. Okay, the other thing that we want in place for while you're alive is a power of attorney. You guys have all heard that term. It's just you're authorizing somebody to act for finances, property, okay? Now you will see the term Medical power of attorney, healthcare power of attorney. What do you think that's for? Come on, medical, right? Okay, so what we want is, just because it says power of attorney, that's not the end of the question. What's in the document? Does it name the ability to do finances? Now, if you have a power of attorney from another state, this is the one document where Florida just doesn't play nice with other states. And so if you have a power of attorney from another state, it may be ineffective. In fact, likely it is, okay? One, we require two witnesses and a notary. Two, Florida requires you to specifically list every authority or power. If you want them to be able to go get the mail, you gotta put in there, go get the mail. Every other state in the nation says, you can just do a general grant, which just means, I give my agent the ability to do anything I can do. Well, how long is that power of attorney? One page, right? Because it doesn't take very much to say they can do anything I can do. But in Florida, we gotta list every specific power, okay? The other thing that is really important with the power of attorney, and if your power of attorney has, was done after 19, uh, sorry, 19, uh, 2011, 2011. Though that we have some special requirements where you have to initial and put in special language related to moving money around to get you qualified for Medicaid, okay? Medicaid is the public benefit that can help pay for the long-term care. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But the point is, is that if your power of attorney was done in the state of Florida, we'll assume it is valid because it was done by a a lawyer or somebody in Florida. But that doesn't mean that they've put in all the important powers that you need to deal with protecting assets and getting uh, getting Medicaid to pay the medical bills, okay? So this is an area that has specialty knowledge. Let me pause. Anything about powers of attorney that you're like, man? I hope he says something about this. So, if you are a if you are a resident of another state, but you spend four or five months down here, do you still need a, a special Florida? Yeah. So the question is, I live primarily or in some other state, you know, whatever that is. Do I have to have one for Florida? If you own real estate in Florida, yes. If you are expecting to transfer or may transfer to Florida in the future, then consider it, okay? Because right now, you're competent and capable to make the choice. If you get hurt, you may not be able to in the future. But the real estate is the critical issue there, okay? Yes, ma'am. Uh, two family members with power of attorney versus one. Right. So how many people do I name, in what order, in what <coughs> configuration? So you can name in any of these documents, but let's talk about power of attorney. You can name co-powers of attorney. What does that mean if you have co? And, and let's forget, throw out of your mind this, does it say and or, okay? Because that has no meaning. Does the document name two as co? If it does, they both have to act. Well, how convenient is that going to be when they try to set up a bank account or they try to write a check? I have had banks refuse to accept or use a power of attorney that is co because banks just can't deal with co signatures anymore, right? So, co is permissible. Some people choose to do it, it is often awkward, okay? So, the two other choices to consider is you can make it pure successor. First one, then number two, then number three, okay? That works just fine. And then the third is is you can authorize, this is something that was enabled very clearly in Florida law after 2011, is you can say, I name these three people and any of them can act. Okay, that's not co, that's not all, all, everybody has to be here at the same time. That is, Johnny can act or Susie can act, and the banks are okay with that because they can accept anybody's authority. What would be the risk to you if you name all three? Well, if all three can act at the same time, if they get along, great. But if there's gonna be a big power play between them, that's not so great, right? So. It's really helpful to authorize multiple people, but it's got to be in the right circumstances, okay? Thanks for the question. Any? Yes, ma'am. And we found the bank required us to get those that we named like our daughter signature on our safety deposit box and things ahead of time. That's right, so when, now, the, the law is, is if I name my wife or child or whoever to be my agent under a power of attorney, then if I'm on the operating table they can show up and act for me, okay? Because that's the whole point of it. But being pre-prepared is helpful and so that's if, if I'm starting to fail then maybe I go ahead and get their authority documented with the financial institution in advance. But it's not, all, it's not required, okay? Great, great point. I'm gonna keep us moving here. One of the things, so those two documents are the most important documents that everyone in this room should have, or if you have a loved one. Now, if your loved one has impairments already, okay? That doesn't mean they can't create these documents now because our mental ability is not a light switch. You know, it's not on or off. It is a continuum and some days we have good days, bad days, and to the degree that I might not be able to understand and and keep track of everything going on, if I can understand, hey, I need help, right, and I trust my child, my spouse, somebody, and I'm okay with them helping me, that's good enough capacity to create a power of attorney or medical decision making, okay? So I don't have to still be my same Einstein status, you know, as when I was 25. I'm past that. But I've got to have an understanding of, hey, I need help, and I can name somebody to help me, okay? So don't give up just because you have an impaired loved one. The other two things I just want to touch base on and then I want to keep moving is you'll hear about wills, trusts, and and other things. Those Those terms are used with how do we direct the money when I die, right? And although that's important, that's not the... Same in my mind, importance as making sure you get to pick the right advocate while you're here. Okay? Now, a will, it's instructions for the probate judge. Now, probate is not an evil thing, it's just a court process that has lawyer fees. But you'll hear a lot of people saying, I gotta avoid probate. It's not a bad choice, it's just not something that's gonna be earth shattering if your estate goes through probate. It's just gonna have some attorney's fees associated with it. A trust is one of the primary tools, not the only tool, that is used to avoid probate. So what you do is you just have this contract with yourself, you put your property in it while you're able and competent, and then guess what? In that contract you say, when I can't do it, I name somebody else to be in charge during my life and then when I die. And so when I die, then they immediately have authority to act. They don't have to get permission from the court, and it keeps it a lot less expensive, and it's faster to move the property from the dead person to the the people who are being benefited from that. Okay? So trust's done and will's done in another state are valid in Florida. Just because you move to Florida doesn't mean you have to redo everything. And if someone says that, you should ask, what specifically is the problem? And if they can't describe that to you, maybe they're just trying to redo things when it's not necessary. Okay. So let me pause. I I introduced a big topic. uh, We're talking about wills and trusts. My big thing in trying to identify them is, is that that is not what's going to make or protect assets. That if you're trying to get Medicaid to pay, medical bills, that is not what is going to um, provide for the specific care and authority to act. The things that help you while you're alive is the power of attorney and health care surrogate. OK Okay, so we're going to keep moving. What happens? If I or my loved one is sick, how do I pay for this care? Well, first place, of course, is your own money. Let's let's don't forget that. And so if you have insurance, that's wonderful. Long-term care insurance, these are all part of the factor. The two main places that we get assistance in paying for medical care is one, the VA, Veterans Administration. Let's talk a little bit about that. If your loved one served in the military and was a wartime, uh, served in the wartime period, and so there's a bunch of defined periods of time. They did not have to see combat; they just had to serve, be in the military one day within a defined period of war. Okay, that includes Korean War, Vietnam War, and you know World War II. Although we have fewer and fewer of of. Those veterans. Um, so, if you, if your loved one was a veteran, or your loved one is the surviving spouse of a veteran, then the VA has programs that will help pay for medical services. Yes, sir. So, two questions. Vietnam was not a war; it was a conflict. Correct. So, does, uh, we never declared war. Correct. So all the benefits from the VA still apply to a Vietnam veteran? They do, and that's why I specifically mentioned it because of that point you just made, it was not a defined war, but it is considered wartime period for benefits, okay? Yep. So what, how much? What is it? The term is aid and attendance. That's probably the easiest one for you to Google or find out more information on. And that will provide to the veteran, veteran and veteran spouse, if, if it's a married person, about $2,300 a month cash. Who takes cash? Everybody takes cash, right? And so the point is, is if, you're, if you as a veteran or the spouse, the surviving spouse of a veteran, is going into assisted living or bringing in in-home care or even paying a family member for care, that cash those are medical expenses that the VA will consider and help you pay for okay if you're the surviving spouse of a veteran it's a little bit less i gave you the bigger number the it's $1200 a month for a surviving spouse okay I remember my second question great Does it have to be a- so, typical lawyer and, and, and government speak, okay? It has to be other than a dishonorable discharge. So, the, so as long as you are not dishonorably discharged, there's lots of other versions, then yes. Yep. Okay. So, that is different than what we call um, getting veteran benefits from service-connected disability. So, I'll just, uh, the idea here is if I'm a veteran anytime during my service, war or not war, and I get hurt so that I can't, it affects my work and other things, I have a disability connected to my service. Okay? It can be my hearing finally got really bad from when I was in the artillery. That is a separate program, has nothing to do with what I just talked about, the aid and attendance. Okay? okay, so Medicaid, let's talk about Medicaid. Medicaid, we use that term, but it's like 50 different programs. And every program has different criteria on when they will help financially. So let's talk about the two primary ones, or the two... Tr- primary circumstances that you would be tapping into it. Your loved one is going to a nursing home. Now, a nursing home runs sixteen dollars to $18,000 a month. Holy cow. All right? A month. And I don't care who you are, having that nest egg is unlikely. Okay. Um, if you are going to a nursing home, Medicaid can can pay a hundred percent of that bill okay so medicaid can be a complete financial solution to paying that bill when will they pay you got to be sick enough well no one's checking into a nursing home until they really have to right Mm -hmm. okay so that one's not usually a hard thing to meet your income has to be below a certain level that's the person going into the nursing home and just for quick numbers, it has to be less than $2,300 a month gross, okay? but the good news is no matter what your income is, we can always fix that or meet that test. Okay? So if you're getting $10,000 a month woohoo! Okay, in income, we can still satisfy the Medicaid test on income. Okay? It's a silly shell game. I just want you to understand that it can be fixed all legally, all permissible by federal law, okay? The third part of the test is that it has to be, the person going into the nursing home has to have assets below $2,000. Oh, well, I actually have $2,001. I can't make it. The simple answer is, is that literally, if you have millions of dollars, we can apply for Medicaid, fully disclose. We are not hiding anything. And we are using their own rules to show them why they should pay the bill. Okay? Now, why? Well, the federal law says we don't want to impoverish the spouse. Okay? So we have special laws that keep us from doing that. There's other policy, um, just. Uh, policies in the law that try to help people that allow this type of planning. Florida is unique in allowing the ability to preserve assets in such a direct and easy way. Every state, because it's a federal program, have these similar laws. It just happens to be very effective in Florida. Okay? So my message to you is that if you have a loved one going into a nursing home, If it's a spouse, please don't think you have to spend all the money and it's all gone and now both of you are without resources before there's help. That's just not accurate. Okay, I can't tell you how many times I've had clients come in, they've already spent $400,000 on a nursing home, and then they say, you could have fixed this way back when? Okay. Second message. Do not think that you, if you... Uh, don't do it right now. You know, if no, one, if no one is moving into the nursing home right now, there's nothing to do. Okay, You're, You don't have to do it in advance. You hear about a five-year give away the money rule. I'm, I'm just guessing you may have heard of that. That's a real rule. It does not apply between uh, transfers between spouses. Okay, It also is not the only factor in how to get Medicaid to pay the bill. So all I'm trying to do is don't think, because you heard about a five-year gifting rule, that it's too late, that you can't fix it. Literally, if mom or dad is going into the nursing home next month, we can still do all of this. Okay? We use different tools, but we can do it. Okay, I, I am here to assure you that no one is trying to sneak around or do something that is improper it's all fully disclosed to the government, okay? They know it when they say yes. Okay, let me pause. Oh, let me one last thing. That's the nursing home. Now, <laughs> frankly, all of us, that's the last place we want to hurry up and go to, right? We only go there when we really don't have another option. But what about assisted living? Assisted living is Frankly, it's kind of like cruise ship on land. It can, it can be very nice. My wife and I were touring when, when her parents were going in, and I do this for a living, but my wife's like, when can I sign up, you know? And, you know, the, the bottom line is, is that it doesn't have to be miserable, it can be very nice. And that's gonna run somewhere between 3,500 and 6,500 a month in our community. Now, Medicaid, the same rules, same tools, all of that, is available to help for assisted living, but they just don't pay as much. Remember, the really big bill for the nursing home? I said they pay it all. That's not the case for uh, assisted living. They only help about $1,200 a month. So it's better than a poke in the eye, but it's just not a complete solution. And that's the hardest part to navigate when a spouse, you're taking care of a spouse or a parent and they have limited resources, it's like how long can we keep them in their own home because one, we'd like to stay in our own home, and then two, you know, they're not really sick enough, they would not enjoy or want to go to a skilled nursing, so how do we pay for that middle? And so we try to mix and match veterans and Medicaid to try to make that happen. But that is the hardest part to, to get and deal with payment, okay? Yes, ma'am. So the veterans would pay that pay on um, assisted living? They would. They'll pay for any type of medical, uncovered medical expense, okay. but assisted living is where it's most useful, okay? Because even if it's the $2,500 with husband and wife veteran, to a nursing home, $2,500 doesn't get, us, get it done. Medicaid is what gets it done, okay? Okay, let me pause, see if there's anything specific that was on your mind there. Okay, great. So, the last thing I want to do is, is oh, I'm sorry, thank you. How would long-term care insurance play affect. That's great. Yep, so long-term care insurance, just so everybody has has make sure they understand, um, that's specific insurance that says when I can't do my own activities of daily living, I can't care for myself, then the insurance company will pay for various levels of care. Maybe in-home care, maybe assisted living, maybe skilled nursing. That is like your own checkbook. Okay, It's your own resource. You've bought and paid for it. And so when you meet the criteria, then they pay so much per day for that type of care. If you have it, that's a wonderful resource. Unfortunately, only about 10% of our nation buys it. And so not a lot of people do. Um, It provides great flexibility and options. If you're considering, please don't say, oh Lance said he can get the nursing home paid for so I can get rid of my long-term care insurance. Please don't do that, Um, but I'm happy to evaluate. Sometimes uh, people, for budget reasons, have to make hard choices and say I can't keep it up, but I really am a big fan of it. I I don't know if I really answered your question. be possible, I mean, if, Yes. If, how how it does it all mix and match together? So, m- both veterans and Medicaid is not going to pay a bill that's already paid by somebody else. That's not surprising. And so, it does mix and match together. Um, so, um, but we can there are ways that we can maximize because your paid for long term care policy typically has a dollar limit and typically has a time limit. And so we can mix and match and we try to extend it as long as possible. Yep, yep. Um, as you move from uh, assisted living to full nursing, does Medicare automatically pick up the cost or difference? Right. Okay. So, um, thank you for. I mean, the question is great, and and so you use the term. You know, I'm I'm gonna use it. uh, Medicare, Medicare, and uh, Medicare is a great. You know, it's, it's we hit 65, we all jump on Medicare, and it pays for the hospitals, the doctors. It will also pay Medicare will also pay for short rehabilitative stays in the skilled nursing. They call it a rehab facility. Same place, okay? And so that's capped at a hundred days. Medicaid, which was your question, um, it uh, they interact together. There's nothing automatic in our government, okay? So. Um, but it doesn't mean you have to reapply or start the process again. So once you have one form of Medicaid, it typically will transition to the other. What it will not do is go state to state. Okay, so if you're in some other state and you're moving down here, you have to reapply and follow the rules under Florida or vice versa. You're here and you want Medicaid to pay some other state, you've you got to reapply and meet that state's requirements. So that is unhelpful all the way across the board. Okay. So the last thing I would like to say, because we're at our time limit, when you are trying to get advice, certainly I'm happy to help, uh, consider finding what we call an elder law attorney. I have 18-year-old clients, so don't think I only deal with people over 65. That is not the case. And guess what? The law says if you're over 40, now you're elder. Ah. So, end result, end result, look for someone who is certified, who deals with elder law. That is the category of of expertise that deals with all of the public benefits, Medicare, Medicaid, and and of course, the estate planning documents. Uh, So you want a lawyer who doesn't just know powers of attorney, but understands the Medicaid so that they have the proper powers in the document. There are a number of very good elder law attorneys in our community, so there are lots of good options. to this podcast please subscribe to the channel if you've not already done so and leave a review if you found this content helpful and if you found this content helpful probably someone else you know would as well so please share this podcast with those that would benefit